We are delighted to have each of you with us tonight. We have a number of visitors from various congregations, and we enjoy your being here, and especially you young people. We appreciate your taking time to come and to worship with us tonight. What a tremendous theme has been discussed during TABS this year, that of the Christian armor. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he tells us to stand, and then he begins with an emphasis upon the various items of the Christian armor. But by way of introduction tonight, what I would like for you to do is to imagine if I had before you a Christian man who served in our military, that is the United States military. And let's say he is preparing to go into battle. What is he going to be wearing? I want you to just imagine him standing here next to me. Perhaps the first thing he would do would be to put on what we might call a bulletproof vest, some sort of Kevlar that would be able to keep him from being harmed if a bullet were to come in the area of his vital organs. Over that, he would probably put on a shirt and then he would perhaps put around his waist a belt on which he would have a number of various things that he would need, including some of his ammunition. He would put on his boots so he would be able to walk in difficult places and not worry about uh, his feet. You know that he'd have to put a helmet on his head to avoid being shot in, again, another very vulnerable area than that of the head. But something you may not know that is a part of the modern-day soldier's attire or his uniform, his armor, is a thing called swipes. I bet some of you never even heard of that. i got to look down to make sure I get the acronym correctly. Soldier Wearable Integrated Power System. In other words... It's his communication device. Uh, most of them today, and I, I found this is very interesting. I read about this on the Internet, about what they're going. It has USB plugs. It has power plugs. The reason why is because they have to be able to communicate. Now, of all the things that I have described as being a part of their armor, their boots, their vest, you can compare those things to the various parts of the Christian armor. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. Oh yeah, let's not forget the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's got to have his offensive weapon. But do you know one thing that so often people leave out as a part of that great Christian armor is the communication with God, the headquarters, the commander, Tonight, what I would like for us to do is to look at two very simple things. Communication inhibited. What kind of things cuts off the communication between us and God, who is our commander? Number two, I want us to look at communication instructions. How is it that we're supposed to communicate with God? Let's begin, first of all, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. 
For those of you here at Bybee's, I'm not using the screen tonight, so you actually have to use your Bibles. And uh, if you didn't bring yours with you, there's one in front of you in the pews. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Communication can be interrupted by a number of things in our physical world. Our communication with God can be interrupted by something that we do. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. Did you hear what Isaiah said? It's not the fact that God cannot hear. God will not hear. I want you to imagine you're a soldier going out into a battlefield and you try to communicate with headquarters and headquarters said, we're turning off the radio. Like, oh, don't leave me out here alone. Don't leave me by myself. Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 14 was a situation that was subsequent to Isaiah's prophecy. The children of Israel were begging God's blessings on them while they were confronting and facing a Babylonian army. And we learn God saying to Jeremiah, So do not pray for this people or lift up cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time they cry out to me because of their trouble. Do you mean that I can get myself into a situation where I cry out to God and say, God bless me, and God says, I'm not listening to you? Folks, that's a bad situation. Go with me now to the book of Micah, to chapter 3 and verse 4. Micah was a prophet who paralleled that of Isaiah. And here's the way Micah puts it in chapter 3, verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. You see, God is saying to the children of Israel through the prophet Micah, your evil deeds, just like Isaiah said, is keeping me from listening to you. Application point here. I cannot live an evil, wicked life and then go and pray to God and say, God blessed me during a difficult time in my life. God will not be used just as an emergency life preserver. You can't just pull out and say to God, okay, now I'm in trouble, help me, and just as soon as the trouble passes, I'll forget about you again. That inhibits our prayers. If we don't have a prayer life with God all the time, then why would we expect God to listen to us in a time of our trouble? There's another thing that inhibits our prayers. If you'll turn with me to the book of James, to chapter 4 and verse 3. 
James chapter 4 and verse 3. James is such a practical writer addressing a number of real issues. And James is describing people who are set on getting whatever they want. He talks about people who fight and war and they covet. And then he says in verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it in your pleasures. You ask for things, you pray for things, but you pray for the wrong things. I want you to imagine, here's a soldier out here on the field. He's got his gun. The enemy's over there in the way. He pulls his little communication device and says, Okay, headquarters, bring me a Diet Coke. You think he's going to get it? Not at all. Why not? He asked for the wrong thing. He was just wanting something to make his life more pleasurable. Folks, do you realize God is not someone to whom we say, Lord, send me a beautiful new motorcycle. God, give me a new wardrobe of clothes. Give me, give me, give me, give me. No. Prayer doesn't work like that. If our prayers are all about, Lord, give me this, give me that, we should not expect God to listen to what we're saying. Now let me tell you what the Bible does say. In 1 John 5 and verse 14, he says, This is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, you ask for what you're supposed to ask, and God's blessings will flow. Let me tell you something else God doesn't listen to, things that inhibit. God knows who the imposters and the infiltrators are. You know, one of the things that always happens during a battle or conflict is that of disinformation. And there's always people trying to interrupt the communication stream and feed false information. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. God doesn't listen to the prayers of people who are not His. You know what Paul wrote Timothy? He says, The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Can I pray to God if I am not one of His children and I am not striving to serve Him? No. The problem is too many people are trying to ask God's blessings without trying to serve Him and be His children. That inhibits Communication with God. Number two, let's talk about communication instructions. I could ask the older people here in this audience, how many of you have seen the movie with Andy Griffith, No Time for Sergeants? And I would say perhaps at least half or more would say they've seen it. There's a real humorous situation about halfway through the movie when he's 
flying in an airplane and he gets on the little uh, intercom and speaks and he says, hello, hello, hello. They know immediately. He's not speaking correctly. Who is this? What are you doing on this channel? This is a military channel. Do you know there's a right way and a wrong way to talk to God? If you'll open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Let's begin with verse 1. We'll go through verse 4. Because we have some instructions here. Here's the manual. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now you can pause with me there for a minute at the end of the first verse. There's been Jesus praying. He's been doing it. One of his disciples came and said, Lord, teach us how to do that. We want to know how to pray to God. Okay, pick up now verse 2. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm not going to break that down to the very nth detail, but let me just make a few observations for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You have to address God properly. Do you know that if you go to court, you're expected to address the judge as your honor? Do you know that if you go to certain places, you don't refer to people by their first name? Use Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. or some other title to indicate respect. Our Father indicates our relationship. Hallowed comes from this idea of giving it respect and honor. When we talk to God, we're talking to the God of this universe who made everything in it. He made me. He made you. He made everything. You don't talk to God flippantly. You address him reverently, respectfully. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom has come. At the time Jesus taught the disciples to pray this prayer, the kingdom had not yet come. In fact, the Lord had been preaching, as well as John the Baptist, repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's it's almost here. However, you can go to many places, such as like Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We already have a kingdom. 
You know, I know what it is too. When Jesus spoke with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I say unto you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then he says, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Kingdom, church, one and the same. It's just like in Colossians 1 and verse 13. He has translated us or conveyed us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So the kingdom has come, but there's another aspect to that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know something that always happens in heaven? God's will is done. You know what happens if somebody doesn't do the will of God in heaven? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Cast out of heaven. What Jesus said, we ought to be praying that people here do what they do in heaven. That we respect the will of God. It will be appropriate for us here to pray that our leaders listen to God and His Word. That we pray that the people of our community would have the respect for and the belief in God and His will you know what? If we did, we wouldn't have beer sales in McMimble. You wouldn't have liquor sales. You wouldn't have the lottery. If we pray for people to respect the will of God here as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't sometimes understand our dependence upon God. Somebody says, hmm. I'm my own man. I don't need anybody. Okay, God says, give me back my air. See how long you last. Everything we have is because of a generous God. Whether it's the rain or the sunshine. Or the ability to work and to provide the bread for us to eat. Forgive us our sins. Yes, we're indebted to God. For we've forgiven those who are indebted to us. It's a situation where God has made our forgiveness conditional upon our being willing to forgive other people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask for God's protection against evil. And ask for deliverance. So you have some instructions there. But now let's not stop at verse 4. Keep your Bible open there. Let's pick up with verse 5 and read through verse 10. And he said to them, Which of you having a friend, and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise to give it to you. 
I say, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give to him as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and he knocks to him it will be opened. You know what the Lord is saying? Do it. You ask how to pray. Okay, now pray. How often, Lord? Be persistent in it. Don't just pray occasionally. First Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. Go back to our text. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Do you understand how important it is? When you start talking about instructions, how often are you going to communicate with me? Now let's say you're going out in the field as a soldier. Check in at 0100. Check in at 0200. Why are you going to check in? Tell me what your status is. I need to make sure you're okay. Tell me what needs you might have. Do you need more ammunition? Do you need medical attention? God expects us as his children to communicate with him on a regular basis. And that's more than once a month. That's more than once every six months. And that's more than just when we're in need. We need to develop a prayer life that tells God what things are going on in our lives, not as if God doesn't know. But God wants us to express it to Him. Have you ever been with a young set of parents, got a small child, they're trying to teach them right, and says, can I have this? What's the magic word? Please. Why do that? To teach a child to ask and ask right. Does God want us to ask? He who asks, receives, seeks, finds, knocks, it'll be opened. Yes, He wants us to. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22 says, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. God expects us to trust Him as well. Sometimes we, we don't want to trust, but we're supposed to trust Him. Now if you turn with me to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Let's go to Luke 18, verse 9. There's some more instructions about how we should approach God. And he spoke a parable to those or some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. 
God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. A lot of it has to do with approach. A lot of it has to do with approach. Do you go telling God, this is what I want, you need to give it to me because of who I am and how great I am, or do you go to God begging because you know you're not worthy? You know, how many of us are worthy to be able to ask God to give us anything? And the answer is, from Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth is, not one of us should have the worthiness to ask God to give us anything. But if you come to God humbly, understanding that God loves you, but you're not worthy, he said that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Let me give you another bit of instructions from the Bible. If you'll turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the background. The children of Israel had finally succumbed to the Babylonians. They had come down upon them at God's direction, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they had taken captive a number of the Israelites and deported them to Babylon. There were a number of people who were left in the land, and those who were left wanted to know what they needed to do. They knew that everything Jeremiah had said was correct. They knew Jeremiah spoke for God. So here's what they're going to do, beginning with verse 1. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least of them to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you. And pray for us to the Lord God for all this remnant since we are left but of a few of many, as you can see. That the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. We want God to tell us what's the direction we're going to have to go in. You know what God's answer was? Submit to Babylon. You do what they tell you to do. And then a very direct message, don't go down to Egypt. Now if you'll jump with me to chapter 43, look at verse 2. Chapter 43, verse 2. 
Azariah, the son of Hoshea, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. Didn't you just ask me what God said? Yes. Then why won't you accept the instructions that he gives? Do you know sometimes we pray to God and we don't like the answer? And in fact, we don't like it so much, we want to do something different? When you ask for directions from God, and the directions today will come through His Word, and you want to know what you should do, you shouldn't reject it. Can you imagine here's a, here's a private who calls in to his commander and says, which direction should we go, right or left? Commander comes back and says, go right. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to go right. I want to go left. Or I want to go back. See, the problem is we can't be the kind of people who will pray to God and say, God, give me some direction in my life. Give me some places to go and some things to do. And then turn around and say, but I don't want to do that. Let me give you a guy who did that. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. There was a man who was a captain of the Syrian army. And uh, due to a captive young girl, he learned that there was a man in Israel who could heal him. He makes his journey down there and he finds Elisha. And Elisha sends a message out to him and he says, Go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you. You'll be healed of your leprosy. Do you know what happened when he got that message? Verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. Oh, you mean... He told me what to do, but I thought it ought to be different. Be willing to listen to the instructions. So that means if I am seeking salvation... I pray to the Lord, let me see in your word what I need to do. And then the preacher opens up in the Bible and it says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. Folks, that's what you got to do. And you know what? People like Cornelius did not debate with Peter and say, I don't know if that's, that's what we ought to do or not. Cornelius was a praying man. Cornelius, when Peter came, he said, we're here gathered to hear all that God has given you to say, and that's what we're going to do. And they did it. Okay, one more, and then we'll try to sort of summarize this all together. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up with verse 5. With regards to instructions, we are to talk with God 
not at others. I'm going to repeat that again. Some of our brethren who've been members of the Lord's Church for a long time need to understand this. We talk with God and not at others. Our communication, though others hear our voice when we are praying aloud, need to know that our communication is not with the congregation. Our communication was God. He said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they will think they will be heard for their many words. Folks, you need to understand that when we pray to God, it's me or you talking to God, not talking to other people. It's not a lecture. It's not a sermon. It's communication with the Almighty. Now, when I go back to this passage, and I want to read it for you again as we go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We need to be praying prayers that the purpose of which is for everyone. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says that, I exhort therefore that prayers or supplication and prayers, intercessions and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, I need to be praying for you. Hopefully you are praying for me. We pray for one another as we face difficulties in life. We talk with God just like a commander on the field might say, My comrade to my right has been wounded. He needs your help, Lord. He needs spiritual attention, just like we might say someone on the field needs medical attention. Lord, the one over here is scared. He's fearful. He's trembling. He needs your encouragement. You see, that soldier who's put on his armor, put on that vest, put on those shoes, put on that helmet, picked up that gun, that weapon, he still needs to be able to communicate with his commander-in-chief. If you'll take your songbook out now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you're not a Christian,
We want to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be one of the young people here visiting with us tonight. Let me tell you, there's nothing more important in this world than your soul. Nothing more important than your soul. You shouldn't gamble with it to say, maybe I'll do it tomorrow, maybe I'll do it next week, next month, next year. It's something that if you know what you need to do, you need to be obedient to the gospel now. If you're one of God's children and you have quit talking with Him, you need to go back home tonight and say, God, I'm sorry. I've not been speaking with you as I should. And I want to fix that. Don't just fix it tonight. Make sure it becomes a habit of speaking with the Almighty. If you sin in a public way and you need to have the prayers of the congregation, we're going to encourage you to respond as well as together we stand and sing.